Well, we're in our third week here of uh, going through Ecclesiastes, which I know has been a really fascinating book for uh, all of us, I believe, so far. For me, it's been very challenging, very exciting, very intriguing. Uh, And so we continue, and there's a a notable shift uh, in the book. If you read ahead a little bit, he goes into a poem. And um, as we go into this morning, uh, any one of us who has applied ourselves to almost anything in life that's particularly worthwhile, whether it's sports music or relationships or learning a trade in your job, you've realized that anything worthwhile doesn't come easy. It doesn't just, it's not just given to you. Uh, I uh, give a guitar lesson to a, a young guy. He's a teenage boy. Uh, he's got an interest in music and uh, we've known our family for, through the years. And so I say, oh, I'll give you some lessons and teach you some stuff. And so, you know, when you're, when you're that age, you're 16 uh, you just want to learn all your favorite, you know, rock songs. You just want to be able to, you know, play guitar solos and all kinds of stuff. I remember being that age and just wanting to go from point A to point Z right away. And so when we first sat down, I told him, now, now here's the thing. His name's Gavin, a really neat kid, loved uh, being with him. Uh, he was actually, him and his brother were in the, the birthday video uh, that you guys showed me uh, about a month ago. And uh, I said, here's the deal, Gavin. I know you want to play a lot of fun stuff. You just want to do fun things. But part of learning guitar, if you want to learn guitar in a worthwhile way for the long run, you're going to have to learn some boring stuff too. You know, there's going to be some fun days where we're going to like really work on some, some things that you're interested in, learning songs that you know. But there's, I'm gonna have to, I have to work in the boring stuff, the tedious stuff that you're going to have no interest in. But I promise you, one day it's going to click and connect and you're going to realize that this boring stuff helps you do this really fun, awesome stuff. And he's a really great soccer player. And I said, it's just a lot like soccer practice. You know, you go and sometimes there's certain drills you love doing, you love scrimmages and games, but there's certain drills, certain reps that you have to do that your coach has to do that you just hate. You hate running laps, you hate running lines, you hate doing all those things. But you know, because you trust your coach, that it's for your good and in proper context and order, it's gonna bring about a certain result and that's being a better soccer player. And if you trust me as a guitar player, you know that I'm not gonna just lead you down some boring road just for the sake of it but I want you to really enjoy music and playing guitar to the fullest. If, so if you trust me, then you'll go along with this and we're gonna have different sort of moments in our guitar lessons. And I'm trying, gonna try not to have a fully boring lesson and then a fun lesson. I'll try to just mix it up. And this is true in almost every case of any part of life. Everything has boring parts, fun parts. And this is the case for marriage and parenting for your job, for your work, for going to school, even things like health. There's fun things about health. There's not so fun things about health. Aging, even things like the economy, our finances. And today the preacher is gonna bring our attention to the various, what he calls, seasons of life. The seasons, the good, the bad, the ugly, the inevitable, the sure, the reality of the highs and lows of life and how we can do best to both receive the good things, but also respond to the bad things. So I wanna pray and ask the Lord to help us because I believe that as I've even just been talking with you guys, going through the first couple of weeks and just talking with you personally on a lot of places you're at in your life, I think that today is gonna to be an important day for us in order to respond to the seasons of life that we have. I hope that today is a good preparatory moment for you 
Maybe today you're going through a great season, but maybe in a week or two you're not. And I hope that today something goes in your ears and your brain and into your heart that helps you plan and be ready for a change of season. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the wisdom that you give us through your word. We're thankful that your word is a light unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. It shows us the way. We don't have to wander in darkness. We don't have to do this alone or in our own wisdom. But you freely give your wisdom to us. If only we would seek, if only we would receive and believe. Help us this morning to believe in your trustworthiness, your sovereignty, your loving control over all things, and your wisdom. Help us to trust your plan and your timing. We oftentimes will not understand what is going on in our life or why it's going on, but we can trust you. When we go through those boring parts of life or those hard parts of life, those painful parts of life, we don't like it and we look forward to the more exciting days, the more comforting days, but we can trust you. So help us to trust you. We love you. We thank you for your word and your promises. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 1. We'll just be going through verse 8 for now, and then we'll continue as we keep going here. Here's what the preacher says, starting into this poem that he writes. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So clearly the, the theme here is time. It's mentioned 29 times just in these eight verses. Time is interesting. It holds us captive, doesn't it? We're, we're slaves to time. If you've ever been on an airplane on a long flight, and I can think of the many flights I've taken over to Africa, and you first sit down on the plane, and you just think, I've, you know, for that particular flight, I'm thinking, I've got like 28, 29, 30 hours before I get there. And you just want time just to disappear and just be there. But you're stuck. There's nothing you can do. Or maybe a loved one of yours gets deployed overseas, and you're looking at six months or a year, and there's nothing you can do. You're captive to that time and you can't even picture getting through that time. In two days, it'll be 23 years that uh, my 
wife's mom passed away. And time is this slave driver. You can't, you can't get out of that reality. We were watching home videos last night that uh, Luke and Denise had put together to, to show us. And it was so awesome just being able as a family just to look at a different season of life. But now is a different season and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's the heart of what the preacher is gonna be going after today because we're stuck. There is nothing we can do when we are in many of the seasons that we are in. And the preacher calls these seasons because sometimes they're just long sort of noticeable changes in the climate of our life. We're bound to them. Maybe you lose your job and you're looking at a whole new horizon of opportunity or lack of opportunity or a friend moves away. Maybe your marriage or your family is a mess and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You wonder how long is this season gonna last me? You've made decisions in your life that have radically altered the course of your life and you know that you can't go back in the past and take it back. And so we fight against time. And often we're fighting against seasons. And the preacher begins this poem by jumping off the diving board of verse one and two by saying this, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And verse two, this is kind of his beginning statement because everything is encapsulated after this, a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time you're born, a time you die, and now everything else from verse three to eight is everything that happens in between the time you're born and the time you die. Everything that happens under heaven in your life between your birth and your death, he's gonna talk about right here. He frames it up by saying, for everything, there's a season, a time for everything, both good and bad. But rather than accept this reality, we often fight against it. We fight against time as well as the seasons in our life. We don't like the thought of growing olds or going into a different part of life. We don't like seeing our kids get older or move out of the house. We don't like all of these different things. We don't accept how things are. We don't accept being single or being lonely or not having the job that we want or not having the spouse that we have or the home that we want or being too young or being too old, being in a certain tough situation. Or maybe when you first have kids and your lifestyle has to change, we hold on to what we still have and we fight for what we don't have. We strive after the wind. And so he says this, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what's planted, a time to break down, but there's also a time to build up. There's a time to weep, but there's also a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and dance, a time to embrace, but sometimes a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to keep silence, a time to speak. Now, of course, church, we can plant whenever we want. We can plant any time we want to plant. There's nothing stopping us from planting in the wintertime, but should we? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Some people don't know how to weep. 
They don't know how to mourn. It's hard to mourn. It's dangerous to mourn. And you've probably known some of those people, they, they just kind of joke and laugh through times when they should be mourning. They don't know how to cope. They don't know how to heal. So they just mask it with laughter. And that's their right. They can laugh in a time of mourning, but should they? Some of you speak your mind even when people don't ask. And that's your right. But there's a time to keep silence. And we need to learn the seasons of life. Now, you can do it if you want, but I'm not saying that you should. You can plant tomatoes in the dead of winter, but it'd be foolish to do so. Now, with some of these things, planting, building, whatever, some of these things, you'll actually be successful in them. It's maybe it's a season to, to break down, but you're just, you just want to build. You're stubborn. You don't want to give in to the season of life, so you just build, build, build. And you have some temporary success even. And so you look and you say, well, you know, people might say, well, you know, God opened up a door. And so, yeah, I know I probably should do this over here, but God opened up this door, this opportunity, so we're gonna build, we're gonna do this thing instead. Listen, God gave this preacher, he gave Solomon riches as a gift. And Solomon abused these gifts given to him by God. But God still blessed him. God still blessed him. Church, I want you to hear this. Don't mistake God's blessing with God's approval. What I mean by that is just because God is blessing you doesn't mean he is approving of your lifestyle because God blesses both the righteous and the wicked. Uh, let me put it this way. You're sometimes in a season, parents, where your kids are out of control, right? They're, they're, they're being mean to each other. They're being mean to you. They're selfish. You're just, you're wondering what's going on, but you still feed them, don't you? You feed them, you shelter them. You still bless them. Now, what if in their mind they're going, well, mom and dad's still feeding me. So that means I can keep doing what I'm doing. That's not at all what you're saying, is it? But you're a good father. You're a good mother. You're gonna care for your kids even when they're rebellious. Your kids should not, but in their simpleness, they might mistake your blessing for your approval of their life. But that's not true. You're blessing them because you love them. Not because you approve of what they're doing. Don't mistake God's blessing in your life, whatever that might be, and say, well, clearly God is blessing me. Therefore, I'm on the right track. God blesses everyone with his common grace in this world. He lets wicked people find love and marriage and have kids and money and riches and wealth. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Doesn't mean God has given, doesn't mean you should keep going. Just because it's an open door doesn't mean you should go through it. The preacher recognizes this reality. The life is difficult, it's confusing at times. It's not easy, it's not fair, it's not painless. Says there's a time to break down and a time to build up, time to mourn, time to dance. And there's no getting out of it. There's gonna be these seasons that come and go and we can't control it most oftentimes because we're held captive by time. But the good news for us is that we have a hope. We have a hope because we know that even though we are slaves and 
captives of time, we also know the one who created time, who has control over time. Notice this poem only mentions in verse 1 through 8 what happens under the sun, under the heavens, what happens to us. And we can only see with that limited vision, looking through our own blurry lens. But the preacher now in verse 9 and beyond is going to help bring it into focus for us, to bring it into context. Here's what he says in verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? What's the point? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Church, do yourself a favor and underline that. Circle it, highlight it, memorize that one line. Commit it to your heart. Commit it to your heart. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, as if that wasn't good enough, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he, the man, cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So even though we have this eternity in heart, and we're gonna dive into this in a bit, but even though we have eternity in our heart, we still can't figure out eternity. We can't figure out the beginning to the end. We don't see the whole picture, even though we know that there is an eternal life out there. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man, which we covered last week. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. It's perfect. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. We just sang the song. It is finished. The story's been written. That which is already has been. That's what is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Now here in this part of the text, 9 through 15, God is mentioned eight times. So clearly we're shifting from time to God or rather bringing in focus time with God. Now looking back at verse 11, he's made everything beautiful in its time and he's put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the ends. I coach baseball and uh, I was at uh, the beginning of the season, I was coaching Liam's team uh, and uh, I was talking with them and then our other coach, Coach Ted, we were talking with these boys saying kind of a similar concept as what I was talking uh, with Gavin about with guitar. Saying, boys, you know, we're going to come to practice and if you guys want to become better baseball players and a better team, we're going to have to, we're going to do a lot of little things that might not make sense to you at first. You know, why do we have to do this drill, coach? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that again? But I said to them, um, I said, how many of you guys like Legos? And so, you know, three quarters of the kids raised their hand. I said, you know, when you get like a, a pile of Legos, it's just, it's a mess. And you, you look at this little piece and you think, what is this weird little piece? I'm not going to be able to do anything with this. But when you start putting the whole set together, you start realizing it's, it's forming something. And then that little piece you thought was kind of insignificant all of a sudden becomes like this really cool little piece that does something really interesting. 
And after a while, you've got this little set and it's being built and you're going, this looks pretty cool. And then the kid next to you, he's building his little piece and you realize that his piece is pretty cool. And after a while, this team has this whole little city block that something really awesome becomes a team. And I said to the boys, I said, you know, as we go, you're, gonna, you're not gonna understand maybe what the coach is having you do this or that, why he's doing this, why he's trying to do that. But after a while, in time, you're gonna realize that you're building something. You're becoming a better baseball player. We're becoming a better team. And you're gonna connect with other boys on the team and we're gonna become a better team, not just individuals, but a better team. Now they have this intuitive trust that coach knows what he's doing. I mean, they don't know better than, you know, <laughs> because it's me, but, uh, but they think that I know what I'm doing. And so they trust that they can follow me and coach Ted. And so they happily just say, okay, we're gonna do these drills. Most of the time they, they follow us, except for one or two. <laughs> God has put this instinctive reality of eternity in our hearts. We long for it. We hope for it. And even many atheists wish that eternity is true. Even though they don't believe it, they go, ah, I like the concept. But despite this longing, this belief, we still can't fathom. We can't picture the end result. We can't look at this mess of Legos and go, oh yeah, I get it. I want to see the end result. We look I, and I we say, yeah, I, I, see I know it. it's going to be So something. God has put eternity in our hearts. We know that there's something greater than this life out there. We know there's something beyond the seasons that we're in, but we just still can't fathom it completely. We have to learn to trust. We can't see the beginning to the end, is what the preacher says. We can't see the end result. And because we can't see this big picture, we struggle to understand certain, why certain events occur in our lives, why certain seasons come and sometimes don't seem to go, why the good season has not come yet. We don't trust the one who holds time in his hands. We feel as if he's asleep at the wheel or not paying attention or that we did something wrong and now he's punishing us. We've made him mad. But we just can't fathom the big picture, the beginning and the end, as the preacher calls it. We consider any great movie, any great book, you wouldn't watch any movie that had no plot twists or no conflict. That's what makes a good movie. A relationship dynamic, an evil empire, we wouldn't watch a movie that was just blah, just everything's good. It'd be like a 10-minute movie and be boring. It wouldn't be worth our time. It wouldn't be worth the, the, the ticket admission price. God's word doesn't tell us the exact conflicts that you and I are gonna go through specifically, but God's word does tell us what we can expect. And God's word tells us we, what we can expect on the other end. Many of you know Romans eight twenty eight where Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so you and I have a choice. We can choose self-pity. We can choose bitterness or escapism, apathy. We can chase after the wind, hedonism, doing things our way putting together the Legos how we think it should go and just throwing away the piece that really actually is gonna be pretty cool later on. Or we can learn to trust the one who created time. We can learn to trust the one who has appointed the seasons of life that you're in, even though you don't understand it. 
that he's the one who's handed you these Lego pieces. They don't make sense to you, but he's going to make all things beautiful in his time. C.H. Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Such a beautiful picture. A stormy ocean thrashing your body against the rocks, ruining you, bruising you, but you realize that you're being thrown against the rock of ages. We can kiss those waves. It's not easy to do. The preacher reminds us that God makes all things beautiful in its time. These things take time, and we often won't see the end of that time, maybe even in this life. Sometimes you do, and it's a great blessing. You get that 2020 hindsight, but sometimes you never get that 2020 hindsight. You go through your whole life, and your life is one big long season of uh, suffering, sickness, loneliness, whatever it might be. But why is understanding God's sovereign control over our time so important for us? Uh, why should we deeply consider how He's orchestrated our past, even the seasons of pain? Why should we believe that He's planned out our future seasons? Why should we believe that he holds our future time in his hands? Why should we believe? Why is this important for us? What is God's goal in helping us see his power over time? In verse 14, we see what God's goal is here. This is what the preacher perceived. I perceived, he understood. He discerned that Whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken from it. God has done it, and here's the why. Right? Whenever we see that phrase, so that, that means here's why. So that people fear before him. So that people fear before him. It's to fear God, to stand in awe of God, to be amazed by God. To fear God, it means to have a, a trembling trust in God. You trust him, but you also tremble because he's so amazing, so mighty, so holy, but yet so trustworthy. You know that he's love, but you also see his, his fire. You know his power, and your knees just tremble in his presence, even though you know he's safe, but he's also dangerous. He's the living God, but you know that he loves you and he proved that to you by sending his son to die in your place so that you could be with him forevermore, but yet you tremble in his presence because you know his power. And when we recognize the sovereignty and the power that he has over everything and we believe that he holds everything in life by his own strength, by his own power, through his own wisdom, when we stand in this, this wonder and tremble before his omnipotent control and sovereignty over every dust particle, every second, every millisecond of everyone's life throughout all of history, we, we fall on our knees and we worship and we surrender and we trust and we adore him and we repent. And we let go of our bitterness. We let go of our pain and our sorrows. We trust him with them. 
our, our hearts melt. Our minds are transformed. We make different decisions. We react to life differently. When we see this, when we behold this, it produces a life-changing faith. A peace that surpasses understanding. A faith that transcends the deepest, darkest parts of your life. It's unexplainable, sometimes even to yourself, but definitely unexplainable to others around you. I don't know, I just, I trust that this God is real. I tremble before him, but I know he loves me. I know that he holds the whole universe in his hands. He speaks and things come to be. He speaks and things disappear. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that I know. I fear him. I tremble with trust before him. Now, church, think about the seasons of your life. Maybe there are distant past that you still hold on to some hurt, to some pain. Maybe it's something you're in currently right now. Maybe you're striving after the wind in something right now. You're wondering when is this season gonna pass or when is this blessing of a season going to come? Think about the seasons. I want you to think about the seasons of your life, your seasons of discontentment, the things that bum you out right now, the things that are holding your heart captive because you're stuck in a season or a moment of time. It's a season of fear, maybe uncertainty, season of trouble or despair, times of doubt. Those seasons have been divinely and sovereignly appointed. And they're not for nothing. It's not the little piece that you kind of think is useless and worthless and just should be cast away. I can't wait to get rid of this piece. We can learn to trust and be content and not fight or strive after the wind in those seasons. Doesn't mean you should be okay with bad things that happen, but we can learn to be content and trust through them. There's a couple verses. I'm gonna be closing up this sermon with just a barrage of scripture because we need this. So I want to start with just a couple, specifically about contentment and difficult seasons, and then I'm just going to go in a rapid-fire assault from God's word to you, okay? Being content in difficult seasons, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Uh, I don't think these will be up on the screen because these came kind of late night last night, so if you want to open your Bible and try to flip through. Otherwise, uh, I would also actually just encourage you to... um, because I'm going to be going fast. You probably won't be able to keep up. Um, Just listen. Just listen and receive. Receive and believe. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which we went over a few months back. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, including the seasons that God has assigned to you and to which God has called him. Live the life that God has appointed to you, not the person that you wish you had their life. Live the life that God has assigned to you and that God has called to you. 
This is my rule in all the churches, Paul says. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which you were called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Well, don't be concerned about it. But Paul gives this caveat, though. This is what I say. You don't have to just be okay with some major tragedy in your life. It doesn't mean don't try to get out of a bad situation because he says this, this parenthetical thought. Now, if you can gain your freedom, then by all means, avail yourself of the opportunity. But just know that he's saying there's a season for this and there's a season for that. Don't strive after becoming free. Be content with it. But if an opportunity does arise and you can get yourself out of a bad situation, then maybe you should take that. So he's not saying just be apathetic in your situation, but he's saying be content in it. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant, a slave, he's actually a free man in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called He's a free man. He's not a slave to someone. He's actually a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Learn to be content in the season where God has you, but be in that season with God. And now the rapid fire assault this barrage of just big picture truths about God and time. Because I believe that if we get a good picture of God and his sovereignty over time, I think that we'll start understanding and believing his sovereign control over the seasons and time in your life. So we're gonna look at the larger world, God's sovereignty over the larger world of time. Because if we can believe that, then we should be able to believe his sovereignty over the entire timetable of our own lives. These things, I hope, should bring you great comfort and great context during the hard seasons of your life. I want to frame it with verse 11 again from Ecclesiastes 3. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The first verse I want to read to you is Revelation 22, 13, because Jesus himself says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last. I am the beginning and the end. We don't understand the beginning to the end, but we can take great comfort in knowing that Jesus is the beginning and the end. And when we hide ourselves in him, when we find ourselves looking to him who is the beginning and the end, we don't have to understand it because we're in him and we can trust him. God has put eternity in our hearts. We can't understand it, but we know that he is the alpha and the omega. Galatians chapter four, verse four through seven. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You're no longer, you're no longer a slave to time. You're, no, you're free from the pains and the treachery of time. 
Because you worship the beginning and the end. Because you've been adopted to be a son. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. You're a daughter. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. He said to them, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But here's the good news. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Psalm chapter 31, verse 15 and 16. My times, the psalmist says, are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. So the word of God does not say don't seek comfort from difficult times. We're not talking about apathy. The psalmist says, rescue me, but he also trusts and knows that my time is in your hands. He says, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight and nine. Peter says, don't overlook this one fact. He says, if you miss anything, don't miss this. Beloved, with, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years. One day is a thousand years. The season of your life is nothing. It's vapor, it's mist, it's smoke. Compared to eternity, it's, it's nothing. It's so long for us, but it's, but it's not for him. In the grand scheme, beginning to end, for the Lord, one day of a tough season a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day for him a season a long season of life for you is just like a blip on the radar in the grand scheme of your life as an adopted son or daughter of the living God it's nothing the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise even though some people count him as being slow they count it as slow why are you waiting so long why is the, when's the season going to end no, he's not slow. Even though we think he's slow, he's not slow, Peter says, but rather he's patient towards you. He's working in you. He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Romans chapter eight, verse 18, the, the verses that come before, the one that I read earlier about God working all things for good for those who love him. This is what Paul says. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is gonna be revealed to us. The season is fleeting. It's vanity. It's just a puff of smoke. And one more here, the last one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. It's kind of a sister verse to Romans 8, 18. For this light, light, momentary, vapor-like affliction it's actually doing something. It's not pointless. There's a purpose and a goal for it. And that purpose is that it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I want you to get this picture. If you have scales and you've got your suffering right on this scale here, okay? And your suffering to you and me goes like that, tips the scales. But compared to the glory that's gonna be revealed to us, this light, light, like feathers, 
momentary affliction cannot be compared to the weight of glory. That is, when it sets here, when it's given to us, it's going to catapult all of your pain, your suffering, your tears, your sorrow into the abyss of hell forevermore. That's the future we get to look forward to. This light and momentary affliction, this momentary season that seems so long to us, a thousand years, it's just a light momentary minute in the grand scheme of the eternal life that we have inherited through Jesus Christ. And this eternal weight of glory is beyond all comparison, beyond anything, any good season you've ever had. It's nothing compared to what you're gonna have. Nothing. We'll be in a perpetual season of God's glory and blessing in our life. As we look, Paul says, not to the things that are seen, the things that are under the sun, the things that we can perceive in between the beginning and the end, but we can't perceive the whole thing. We only see what's under the sun. So it's not the things that are, we're limited through our foggy lens because the things that are seen are transient. They come and go. They're here one day, gone the next. Like chasing after the wind. But we don't look to the things that are seen. We look to the things that are unseen. The promises of God that we have not yet attained, but we know are ours because we've inherited them through Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. He says, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They're eternal. They will have no ends. The blessing of God that we have as sons and daughters will have no ends. And I hope that those truths adjust the lens by which you see the current season you're in or the future season you're going to go in or the past season that you can't get past, you can't get over. I hope that those truths help you trust the God who's appointed the seasons of mourning and laughter, building and tearing down. I hope that you can trust the, the, the microcosm of seasons, the microclimate of seasons. If you can trust that God is in control of this huge climate of time, you can trust him in the little microclimate of your own time. You can trust him. I can trust him. It's not easy but when we learn to stand in fear before God that he holds the whole universe in every millisecond in his hands, in his wisdom, and he's gonna make all things beautiful in its time. When we trust that, it changes the way we walk through life. I wanna pray and thank God that he is a good God, that he loves us even when we're foolish, even when we plant when we should not, even when we build, when we should not, even when we laugh, when we should not, he still blesses us and cares for us because he is a good father. Let's thank the Lord for his patience and mercy towards us. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good father. You are so wise so beyond us. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are above our ways. Your power, your control, your might. You're good. You're perfect. 
You're all powerful. And we don't understand you. Many times, many times we don't understand what is coming into our life and what's leaving from our life. We don't understand how you orchestrate seasons. But we know that we can trust you. We know that we can learn to trust you. God, you have orchestrated every moment of every person's life throughout all of history. And you're going to make everything beautiful in its time. And that's baffling to us. It's hard for us to grasp. I would say it's impossible for us to grasp fully. Help us to understand what we can. Help us to trust where we can't see. We thank you for your sovereign control and rule and love and care over our lives. You're an amazing God. We thank you. We love you. We thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to empower us and guide us and lead us into your truth, to help us understand things that we can't understand on our own. By his power, we pray that you would give us wisdom as we read your word, that your spirit would bring your word into our hearts, that your word would be alive and active in our hearts, cutting us, dividing us, exposing sin. We love you, Lord. We want to honor you and worship you. In Jesus' name, we pray and we ask all these things. Amen.